0: Uh, in the U.S., I'm an ethnic minority, uh, being a Dominican-American. My family's from the Dominican Republic. English is my second language. Spanish is my first. And I grew up uh, on public assistance uh, in a single, um, single-parent single household. Uh, at the age of 15, I was, re- I was arrested for gang-related activities. Um, that's also uh, pretty atypical, that, that someone can bounce back from that sort of childhood and uh, make it to be a leader in. Uh, you know, tech and enterprise SaaS
1: specifically. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. This is the first of the three part mini series with Isiad Ferreras, ex COO and third employee of Hustle, a peer to peer texting platform for conversational marketing, which he helped scale to 16 million in annual recurring revenue. Isiad talks about the power of reading to transform one's life and how living like a king in India revealed to him that there's no escaping the fact that he's wired to work, build teams, and to live meaningfully. This interview took place in Tech Open Air, Berlin. Hi, Isiad. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for being here on 14 Minutes of SAS in Tech Open Air Berlin, otherwise known as TOA. Um, You're a statistical anomaly, but an inspiring one. Tell us your story. Uh, sure. I mean,
0: uh, I think like given we're talking at Tech Open Air, and you, you've got a SaaS podcast, I think probably what's most relevant is the stuff that I've done in SaaS. Uh, and so, regardless of where I came from, uh, just being uh, being a C-level executive at a company and taking it from zero to at this point, we're at about 16 million in ARR, and it took us a little over two years to get there. Uh, that itself is extremely rare. Um, I and think that's we were, hustle, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah, that's hustle. Um, first, uh, you know, the the, the the character attribute is hustling, but the name of the company is Hustle, Hustle.com, H-U-S-T-L-E, um, and yeah, that's it's it's extremely unlikely, and especially the way we did it, uh, selling to nonprofit advocacy organizations, oh, okay. labor unions. Um, political campaigns, et cetera. Uh, it's only now that we're really going into four, in, into four enterprise use cases. It's Yeah, you're right, it's, it's a it's statistical anomaly. But then also what I'm sure you're referring to is my background. Uh, very rarely are Silicon Valley executives, people who uh, are you know, come from the sort of background that I have, which is uh, in the US, I'm an ethnic minority, uh, being a Dominican American. My family's from the Dominican Republic. English is my second language, Spanish is my first, and I grew up uh, on public assistance uh, in a single, um, single-parent household. Additionally, I'm pretty public and open about the fact that uh, at the age of 15, I was, re- I was arrested for gang-related activities. Um, that's also uh, pretty atypical, that, that someone can bounce back from that sort of childhood and uh, make it to be a leader in uh, the, you know, tech and enterprise SaaS
1: specifically. And I, th- and I think it's a great thing, and it, it, the thing is, you know, I did research you, and, and uh, you know, you're the, you are the, re- the real deal when, when it comes to actually escaping from a, from a difficult uh, environment. I, I grew up in Tallinn myself in Dublin, um, which is not the nicest part of the city, um, but uh, I, I don't think I have the same amount of barriers as you have because you have the whole racial thing in the US as well, which is not really as a, a strong where I come from. Um, uh, if you were to name one person that's influenced you, Isiad, uh, in your uh, really quite remarkable career of, of multiple uh, exits, su- successful exits, who, who, um, who might that be?
0: That's an interesting
1: one. Who's, who's
0: influenced me? I think it, it, who influenced me uh, has changed as I've gotten older. Uh, when I was younger, one of the biggest influences was this guy. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, a friend's dad um, and actually at, at this point I honestly can't tell you even like what is what his name is um, actually no wait that's not true I believe his name is David Barg um, okay. because her last name is Barg um, he recommended that I read the book how to win friends and influence people when I was about like 14 15 years old uh, and that book let me see that you could you could read a book and just learn basic social and business skills and from that point on I was just addicted to um, at the time Barnes & Nobles was still a thing and you could just show, show up at a Barnes & Noble and they'd have all these top-selling business books and I would just read them and that had a tremendously positive uh, impact in my life and uh, that was very helpful and then uh, more recently uh, I, I spent a lot of time reading Saster, uh Jason Lemkin's blog uh-huh. and that was very useful it, it helped me understand uh, sales funnels in a deeper way than I understood before, and also the, the challenges of growing and scaling a SaaS business. So I found, uh, I found J- Jason Lemkin's blog
1: uh, to be really helpful as well. Yeah, he, yeah. he scaled um, Ecosign. He did yeah. battle with DocuSign, and the two of them pretty much carved up. Without any real technological uh, differentiator, they, they pretty much went to market very efficiently, and carved that up, um, impressive guy. From uh-huh. talking with you earlier, you definitely have a low boredom threshold sure sign of a a healthy level of curiosity, keen intellect, Um, would you describe yourself as as a patient person?
0: I I think I would describe myself as that. If you ask somebody that I've gotten impatient with, they might not describe me as a patient person. Uh, But I I think typically uh, I'm thinking as long as I'm learning or somebody who I'm working with who needs to learn is learning from an interaction, then I, I can be pretty patient.
1: Okay, very briefly, just to take you to some of your, your formative experiences. Um, what did you, you learn in your time as a successful founder of Artvarkium and managing director then of Jake Roy Pillar? What, what did you learn at that time? So
0: that was that was a fun one. Uh, so I started Ardvarkium while I was uh, cha- what I was splitting my time between uh, India, New York, and San Francisco. Uh, so after so previous to that, I was working in the uh, I was working in the hedge fund space and um was was pretty fortunate in how that turned out for me and so i, I was just like hey i'm gonna just spend a few years traveling around and i, I lived in india during, during that period and some friends and i had started uh this thing called the international day of happiness which is now it was just now an international holiday that got passed by the un it just started out as this idea that we had and but anyways while i was doing that i needed something to do um, and so that was our vacuum. And Ardvarkium, I I called it that because I was starting this company and I figured, well, when people are, when somebody's doing their job of evaluating different companies, they might list the companies in alphabetical order. And I always wanted to be at the top of the list Uh, because I know for myself, when I evaluate companies, I usually get bored or impatient or other priorities come up, so I only end up evaluating three, even if I fully intend to evaluate five, seven, 10, right? And I figure everybody else would be in the same boat. That's what I did there. Uh, and Artvarkium was, um, we, we did some software development, we made some product, uh, but then the person that I had worked with previously at Ryan Associates, his name's Charles Walters, uh, he was my boss there. I tried to hire him to be the CEO of Artvarkium. I wanted him to be my boss in my new company and he said no. He was like, no, like there's no way you're going to hire me to be boss of your company but um, how about I start a new company and I'll buy you. And that's what Jake Roy Pillar was. So we started Jake Roy Pillar, bought Artvarkium and then we worked together and I was a managing director at his new company. Um, which quickly, um, which which quickly grew and scaled to um, having something like thirty of the top one hundred hedge funds as clients. Um, I made, I, I personally made a uh, data warehouse solution that was used by several of the top hedge funds uh, on the planet. And in the process of doing that, is when I started getting real exposure to uh, enterprise sales. Uh, what I found was that I had a much easier time hiring and training software developer skills, especially in the hedge fund enterprise uh, software space, than I did competent salespeople. So then I got enamored by the sales and marketing challenges of doing enterprise sales to hedge funds, and then that's when uh, that's when things really started going for me of uh, you know developing that side of things. Before that, I was primarily focused on software development, and then only really using the stuff that I'd learned in these
1: business books that I read as a kid to do sales. This was a whole different beast. I'm fascinated by uh, the fact uh, I spent four years of my life backpacking, so I'm fascinated by the fact that you, you seem to spend a lot of time in India and perhaps other places, traveling the world. Um, did you did you have time to sit back and reflect as well as do all the stuff you were doing like um, yeah. Happiness Day and all that? Yeah, totally. I mean, like that was the bulk of it, right? So but mostly I was
0: I was thinking, cool. I'm 25. I have all this money. I'm done. I'm just you know, and I was but uh it turns out that you know so i was living in india and i won't go into a bunch of my personal details but it was like this is pretty i was in a very excellent situation and but i got depressed while i was there i just didn't like being there within a within just even a few weeks of being there i just turned into this completely different person um who was depressed and i realized that well i just need to work that's just how i'm wired and to embrace that and that um you know that wasn't what happiness was gonna be for me Uh, so then of course ironically while I was depressed I started the International Day of Happiness with some friends Uh, but yeah I spent a lot of time hanging out not really doing much and that just drove me absolutely insane and that's why that's that's how I learned that I'm just driven to work and that's my purpose I like solving business challenges that's my form of art um, that's
1: what I do. And, and I, I think that probably really feeds into the talk you gave today, which was excellent, uh, the Maslow's hierarchy-based uh, uh, reflection on, on how to bring someone up above the bottom two layers and then bring them through. and, and So you, you didn't just apply that to yourself, uh, you apply that to building teams and to, and, to, and to enabling people to be the best they could be. Also managing out people who couldn't, who couldn't maybe fit the culture of the company. Um, tell us a little bit about how you, you did that in Hustle and, and, and what sort of scale you, you got in terms of personnel.
0: Yeah, sure. So, when I joined Hustle, it was a five-person company that was all engineers and uh, they had a couple of unpaid pilots but no real revenue. Um, and then so I joined as the sixth person or or the third employee and my my mandate was to build the business around these developers Uh, now a couple years later we're about 130 people we've raised over 40 million dollars most recently a 30 million dollar Series B Uh, I'm the COO of it and now there's like maybe like four layers of management, right? So you know there's there's people. You know it was before we were it was extremely flat, or maybe one person reported to me. Now there's you know like somebody's boss's boss's boss kind of thing. Um, doing that, and so so and and something that I'm really proud of is in the process of getting to about 130 people, and we'll be over 200 by the end of this year. Uh, we we've I think we've only had to let go maybe a dozen people. Something like that. So Amazing. a very low attrition rate. And I think that comes from being very clear about what our culture is. Uh, and, I, and I get very explicit about that. So I have this document called the Cultural Commitments of the Business Team, uh, for example, because the engineering team is different, but the business team, uh, we're very much about very direct communication, we're very action-oriented. And I try to make very clear to somebody, hey, what's what's a what's a mistake that we don't tolerate? versus what's the sort of mistake that I want you to feel free to make, right? So one example, and one of the things that I think kills, kills companies is when they get into an analysis paralysis mode on a decision that really doesn't matter, right? Or it matters that they, get, that they get it right, but it's okay for them to fall forward a couple times along the way, right? So in that case, I want there to be fast iterations and I want the mistakes to happen as quickly as possible. So the way that we do that is, as I'll say, Hey, you get immunity for any decision as long as you email your manager first and if you are aware that somebody else might be a stakeholder, include them in that email and just say, hey, I'm gonna do this unless you get back to me within some time period, two hours, a day, whatever. And then you get immunity for whatever happens from your decision, right? Um, Because again, what I care about is that something happens, that there's some sort of activity and this is how we invest in our people. Right. I want them to make mistakes. That's one of the best ways to learn is when you apply yourself and it doesn't work the way you expect it.
1: In the next episode, Issyad takes us into a deeper dive into Hustle's value proposition and explains why his personal superpowers lend themselves to being a COO as opposed to a CEO. You've been listening to 14 minutes of SAS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.